The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm back once again with K-Bads as we're here for our final installment of Hoya Paranoia as this would have been the week that we would have crowned the national champion, so it's fitting that we wrap up with this particular episode. K-Bads, welcome back to the show, man. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, man. How are you? I'm good, man. Glad to hear that. Glad to hear that. Glad you could join me once again for another episode here as we uh, wrap up this uh, little adventure we've been on. Uh, I'm glad that you could join me. It's been a lot of fun to uh, take this trip back down memory lane with you. Yeah. Um. Somebody told me they actually showed this game today on CBS, and it's still one of those games I just I can't watch. You know what that is for me? It's not in college basketball. It's in the NBA. It's the uh, uh, Magic Johnson baby hook over Parrish and McHale because I was a okay. Celtics fan. And whenever I see that, I immediately go back to being a six-year-old kid at my uncle's house just being, like, so dejected. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, uh, the 84-85 version of the Georgetown Hoyas. Uh, this probably may have been John Thompson's best team, even though it did not win the national championship. Uh, they, their record was 35-3, and 14-2 in the Big East, and that was only good for second. Uh, they scored 74.3 points a game. That was 59th in the country. They allowed 57.3 points a game, which was sixth in the nation. So, um, yeah, this was definitely the Hoya paranoia at its finest right here as far as the trapping defense, the pressing, the steals, creating a lot of turnovers, getting a lot of points. And, you know, as you said, at times it was difficult for Georgetown to score, but not in this season right here, man. They had a lot of games where they scored in the 80s and the 90s and held teams to – below 60 a lot of times yeah um they should have won it i mean i can't (laughs) actually it doesn't really get any more plain than that um we just look at the roster how stacked it was right it was past last year he was his you know he finally coming to form as being the dominant force that um everyone expected him to be uh you know they should have won it I can't put it any more plain than that. Right, right. The the major contributors to the team, of course, Patrick Ewan as a senior, David Wingate, his junior season at guard, Bill Martin as senior forward, Reggie Williams uh, coming off of the national championship game where he was a freshman, was a sophomore at forward, Michael Jackson was a junior at guard, Horace Broadnax, another junior at guard, and Perry McDonald was a, a, a freshman forward. Uh, the Hoyas entered the season, of course, as the defending national champions. They were ranked number one in the preseason. Uh, they started off the season flexing their muscles to the tune of 14 straight wins, including seven straight Big East wins to start the conference season. Uh, then the Hoyas lost their next two games to St. John's and Thrillers, 66-65, to and the Syracuse, 65-63. to 
uh, the Hoyas with rebound, though, and win their final eight games. The Hoyas advanced their only two losses of the season by defeating St. John's 85-69 and Syracuse 90-63. Like we said, just um, uh, offensive just firepower that this team had and then to be able to hold teams below 70 points consistently was just amazing. Uh, The Hoyas ran through the Big East tournament with wins over UConn, Syracuse, and St. John's for their second straight Big East uh, Conference Tournament championship. The Hoyas were ranked number one going into the 1985 NCAA tournament, and they were the number one seed in the East region. The Hoyas defeated Lehigh, Temple, Loyola of uh, Illinois, and Georgia Tech to advance to their third Final Four in four years. Um, So that was a really good feat for John Thompson. Um, Just his coaching acumen. uh, This is where he really ascended to one of the top-tier recruiters and coaches in the game. He'd come off a national championship. He'd been in the uh, national championship game two out of the last three years heading into this season. Uh, You know, this is where he really, you know, solidified himself as one of the top coaches in the country after this season right here. Uh, The Hoyas showed up to the Final Four at Rupp Arena, and they faced two familiar foes in St. John's and Villanova. The Hoyas easily ran past St. John's 77-59 in the national semifinal, led by 20 points from Reggie Williams. The Hoyas advanced to their second straight national championship game versus Villanova. Villanova, behind Dwayne McLean's 17 points and 16 points from Ed Peatney, defeated the heavily favored Hoyas 66-64. It's widely considered the largest upset in national championship game history. It was the first year the NCAA tournament was a 64-team field. It's also the last Final Four to be held on the college or university campus. So, um, just a whole lot of things circling around that game and that upset and that tournament in general. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, the one thing I remember most about this, it was talked about so much in the national media here locally um, was that, you know, there were three Big East teams in the final four. Right. And for the conference that had been formed in the late seventies and for it to become one of the more dominant conferences in college basketball, if not the, most uh, dominant conference in college basketball in such a short um, period of time really spoke to just the level of, you know, talent in the, in the, uh, in the conference, but the, you know, the coaches that were there, the coaches that have come through the conference um, around that time, but just also, this is really like the real introduction of the big East as like, we're here. Mm-hmm. We're not a second tier conference. Like we, you know, we're a major force to be dealt with and just getting three teams in the final four already spoke to that. But also that game, I mean, you know, Georgetown in that game shot 55% from the field. And you would think that that would have been enough with how well that team played defense that season. But when Villanova shoots was 78% from the field, 81% from the free throw line, they shot 90% from the field in the second half. They missed one shot in the entire second half. Like, I don't really care who you are. If you're playing – you know, you can be playing the Bad News Bears, and if they miss <laughs> one shot in the second half, they're going to win. They could be the 87 Lakers. Like, it doesn't matter. So, it, that's one of the things that's really, you know, for me, just really hard to accept about that game was that it didn't matter really how good this team was, and it still is the best Georgetown team ever, better than the team that won the national championship the year before that. But, you know, Villanova just had just the game of a lifetime, and it just happened to it happened against us, so yeah, it was one of the first times where, in a national setting, 
where you saw the underdog sticking around and the crowd turned. Yeah, absolutely. Cheering for Villanova. Oh yeah, I mean that that's 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 the NCAA tournament for you. Like people are always going to root for the underdog, and right. like we spoke like we spoke about last week, Georgetown was the villain of college basketball. So hey, why not Roly Massimino Villanova? Sure, we'll root for those guys over Georgetown to beat the team that everybody just expected to win it. Nobody wanted to see Georgetown win two national trade national championships, so that was kind of to be expected. But you know, again, you miss one shot in the second half, you deserve to win. But it's it's hard to look at to this day. Yeah, it looked like the bracket had opened up for actually North Carolina to make a run in Villanova's mm-hmm. bracket, but Villanova upset North Carolina uh, in the Sweet Sixteen to get to the. Uh, uh, lead eight and advance to the final four. So they were kind of a team of destiny throughout that tournament. Um, you know, they had a good season. They played Georgetown close in the first game at their house. Mm-hmm. Uh, they mm-hmm. lost 52 to 50 uh, at that game. Then Georgetown really put a beating on them in the second game uh, when they played back at uh, Capitol Center. And then, uh, you know, I guess, you know, just the confidence of understanding what they do and playing them so often and, you know, mm-hmm. Be- beating them the year before that. Right. Having seniors and stuff, senior leadership and guys who had done it before. There was, you know, there was nothing unfamiliar about it. Whereas the NCAA tournament, a lot of times you kind of, it's kind of hard to prepare for a lot of these teams because you only get one day to prepare and you're, you're not familiar with you know, you, you can see what they do strategically, but it's a lot different when you see athletically and, you know, what guys can do when the game starts playing live bullets out there. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, in this particular Final Four, the Big East teams, you know, it was like, you know, Memphis State was the only guy in there who was like, oh, I don't know nothing about any of these teams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was right. actually, uh, you know, a pretty good run for them because they were kind of maybe the first, like, mid-major team that kind of really – make some noise where they got to the final four. They got to the lead eight the year before Keith Lee. Mm-hmm. I mean, two years ago when they upset mm-hmm. Georgetown, when yep. they made that run uh, two years prior to this. So, you know, Memphis state is, uh, you know, got a lot of his Memphis state, Houston, North Carolina, all play a lot into this Georgetown story. Absolutely. As they go on through, uh, this four year stretch of Patrick Ewan, uh, in college. Um, let's just talk about that. Um, Patrick Ewan, a uh, four-year college player, which would never happen in this day and age. Um, totally different um, time, but the game was influenced by him so much in college. And it helped Georgetown, you know, make that run with Alonzo Mourning and Dikembe Mutombo, where they became known for their dominant inside presence. Um, just talk about the exposure that Patrick Ewing gave to the Hoya program and the success that is carried on through Allen Iverson and all those guys I just spoke of. Yeah, um, you know, early on in uh, John Thomas' career at Georgetown, him being, you know, from D.C., being a, a high school coach um, in D.C. at St. Anthony's High School, he really laid the foundation for the program by recruiting in D.C. And, you know, if you look at a lot of those earlier teams that had a lot of success, you know, you know, three or four guys in that starting lineup were from the district. I think even in 19, that was the 80, I was in 80, I believe, when we played uh, Iowa um, in the Sweet 16 for the opportunity to go to the Elite Eight. Um, four of the guys in that starting lineup were from D.C. public schools, and the only other guy in the starting lineup that wasn't was C.B. Floyd. It was some guys starting in North Carolina. Um, but as time went on, of course, 
you know, Georgetown became be known as a team to be reckoned with nationally. He starts to expand his recruiting footprint, and Patrick was really like the first really, really, really big pull for him to be the number one player in America. Everybody recruited him. So just John being able to recruit Patrick to get him to Georgetown, um, you know, a small, you know, Jesuit school in, you know, upper northwest Washington, D.C., spoke volumes about his ability to be a recruiter at that level. And, of course, the exposure he brought to the program, I mean, became must-see TV night in and night out. And then you just can't understate his impact on the program to be there for four years to play in three national championship games, win one national championship should have been two. Absolutely. If, you know, the Villanova doesn't shoot the lights out. But um, even to this day, I mean, his impact, it, it speaks volumes. And you talk about uh, him really laying the foundation for Georgetown being known as big man. You if we don't get Patrick Ewan. We don't get Alonzo Mourning. Um, we may not get Othello Harris. We're going down the line of, you know, really top-tier big men that Georgetown was able to recruit to the program. And that's not even speaking about some of the guys like, you know, Shaquille O'Neal to this day still says he wanted to go to Georgetown. And, you know, a lot of big men, you know, really wanted to go to Georgetown play for John Thompson. But that seed was uh, was planted with the recruitment of uh, Patrick Ewing. And, you know, today he's the coach. And he's going to get every opportunity in the world to turn that program around because of the equity he has with the program in the school. Right, right. Um, let's just talk about this 1985 tournament as a whole. Like we said, it's the first time that the tournament had expanded from 48 to 64 teams. So it's basically the March Madness that we know and love today. It was the very first year of that. Uh, the three-point line was in full effect in college basketball in 1985. And um, the college campus atmosphere, it was the last one to be held in that kind of basketball environment, not that huge mm-hmm. arena field. And it was just kind of like you could feel that that game was like maybe the change of something or the start of something as we go to know as March Madness and just the ramping up of college basketball because two years later it was the Keith Smart shot against Syracuse where Indiana won in the Superdome mm-hmm. and that was like you know what I'm saying and that really was what took it off because you had a upset two years ago and then you had a buzzer beater two years later and March Madness as we know it was off and running and, uh, you know, Georgetown played a lot, a big part in, in all of that. The lead up to it, the North Carolina game was like one of the biggest watch games ever at the time for college basketball. So just a lot of history that Georgetown has with the inception of big time college basketball. Uh, you know, as you said, ESPN covering the Big East at the time, they were at the forefront of that. Um, must see TV and you know Dick Vitale and those guys at ESPN made a lot of bones covering Big East basketball in the early to mid eighties. Um, Big Monday, <laughs> that's no yeah. sad, you know what I'm saying. I mean, I know, I know you grew up on that. Probably man. worked on some of that uh, during. Oh your time, man, man. Uh, you know with that company. So you know it was just an institution, and a lot of it was built on these early Georgetown teams that. Um, you know, unprecedented run of success, uh, like you said, for such a small school, three uh, title games out of the four years that Pastor Ewan was there. They got upset in the second round in his uh, sophomore year, but that was really the only setback he really had. He played deep into his career. I think up until Christian Leitner, besides like Lou Alcindor, he had played like the most games in college at that time. Yeah, that sounds about right, man. Yeah, so, you know, just a great run for that team. And, uh, you know, just any final thoughts, K-Baz, just on, you know, like 
how big college basketball got after this game and, you know, just Georgetown's presence and that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at the biggies at the time. Um, I don't I don't think it's a it's an accident that you saw like this, you know, national profile for college basketball expand the way it did, because if you look at so many of the schools in the biggies at the time, they were in nice media markets mm. you know they, you know it, it, it didn't have to be in la and have to be in chicago but you know if you got seton hall st john's in the new york area you got georgetown in dc you got boston college in boston of course pitt in pittsburgh of course i mean kind of going down the line you know providence they were in nice you know small to medium to large they kind of hit it on every level media markets and they kind of expanded the footprint of major college basketball and then you talk about you know the extension of espn at the time they want a lot of homes and there were a lot of eyeballs on bees basketball and yeah it just blew up like it was just like you said last week and it's a perfect way to describe it's that perfect storm of a you know a cable network that really wants to put a lot behind these big names um you know, Biggie's conference came along around the same time that ESPN was coming on air. It was a perfect marriage. And, you know, it kind of hurts to this day that we're no longer on ESPN because, you know, you just talk about big money. Like, these are things you grew up with. Right. You know, seeing Jerome Lane break that rim on big money, I'll never forget stuff like that. Right. You know, some of this, the wars we had against Pitt, against Syracuse, against St. John's back in the 80s and 90s. You know, it's kind of tough now. Like, you know, it's good that we still have a national broadcast partner with Fox Sports, but this is not the same. Right, right, right. It's kind of like how I look at with watching Maryland be in the Big Ten. It's just like, man. It's hard. It's hard. over there. <laughs> it's hard. Like, it's crazy sometimes I go on my app sometimes to watch, you know, you know, look at scores or whatever. And I still, to this day, if I want to see the Maryland score, I still go to the ACC. And then I, and I'm looking, I'm like, where's the score? Oh, right. They're in the Big Ten. Yeah, man, it's just it's hard. It's hard to get used to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But these were just good times. Um, you know, just an excellent form of basketball, different form of basketball. And if you kind of go through these years in a consecutive fashion like we have, you kind of see the game open up a little bit more with the addition of the three point line. Um, with a little bit more guys being able to drive and create a little bit more. There's a little bit more of the one-on-one game starting to creep in there a little bit towards the end there with guys like Reggie Williams on the team being able to, you know, break guys down and get their own shots. So you kind of see the evolution of the game taking place too um, as things kind of transpose and, and you see Patrick Ewing go from the, you know, freshman who is just large and talented, but the skills were there, but then he became so refined and, and just such a great player um, throughout his college years. And like I said, if it wasn't for Michael Jordan, man, he would have had so many awards in college and 10 national <laughs> yeah. championships. And it's mm-hmm. just a golden era of basketball during that time. I mean, you, you had Clyde Drexler and Hakeem Olajuwon during this era as well. They went to uh, Final Four. Uh, together during this era right here that we're talking about so just so much history and it was fun to take this trip with uk bads um hopefully man you and uh our man russell man can get back with the next year when everything hopefully gets back onto a normal timetable you guys can get back to the seconds of madness and yeah and and give us that in-depth um analysis that i definitely tune in for 
or during the college basketball season. Uh, you guys watch so many games and have a clue on so many guys, especially around the tournament time. That can be so helpful if you're trying to win pools or just interested in watching some people who, you know, you don't necessarily get to watch on a normal basis. Uh, definitely got a lot of entertainment out of that podcast the last few years. Can't wait for you guys to come back. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, man. So, again, man, one more time, let the people know where they can find you each and every week uh, on Twitter and also your podcast, bud. Yeah, man, they can follow me on Twitter at KBADDS, that's K-B-A-D-D-S, and you can check us out every Wednesday night, Thursday morning, um, Hot Five Starter Podcast. Um, you know, check us out wherever you listen to podcasts, and like I always say, we talk about it. Once again, I'd like to thank K-Bads. I'd like to thank everybody who's listening here on the CSPN. You can download, find Know the Score on you know iTunes, Spotify, all the normal podcast platforms. Once again, for my co-host K-Bads, I'm Don DeLorente, and now you know the score.